we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. It is only out of nothingness that creation takes place. Out of that emptiness is that creation that is the summation of all energy. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the philosopher's talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is nothingness. Upcoming themes are sleep and dreams, the future and the observer. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust based at Brockwood Park in Hampshire, UK. Brockwood is also home to Brockwood Park School, an international boarding school offering a personalised holistic education for around 70 students. It is deeply inspired by Krishnamurti's teaching, which encourages academic excellence, self-understanding, creativity and integrity. Please visit brockwood.org.uk for more information. You can also find daily Krishnamurti quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps its visibility. This week's episode on nothingness has six sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in London, 1962, titled, Nothingness is Not Something Mysterious. So far, you have pointed out, or brought us, or explained verbally, a nothingness, a state of nothingness. And in that state of nothingness, what is truth? That's right. First of all, sirs, the nothingness is not something mysterious. It is the denial without motive of everything, of every psychological structure of society. If you deny without motive, ambition, you are left with with an emptiness, aren't you? If you are no longer ambitious, driven by success, fame, 
or to escape through fear, and you have died to all that, cut through all that. Then, as I pointed out, there is a state of loneliness, a state of negation. Loneliness is really complete negation. But that loneliness is a reaction to the desire to be positive, which we won't discuss that for the moment. So, there is this emptiness. Then what is, the lady asks, what is truth? Now, wait a minute. Are we exchanging verbally, theoretically, or have we come to that point? when you, for yourself, have totally realized, without any compulsion, urging, influence, when you yourself have completely, consciously and unconsciously, psychologically, broken away from the structure of society, if you have, Totally, not partially given up one ambition and keep another ambition going. Partially got rid of fear and cling to innumerable beliefs. But when psychologically you are completely free from the social structure, then there is an emptiness. then there is no tomorrow, nor yesterday, nor the observer observing. If you have come to that, all verbal communication, what is beyond, is merely theoretical. It has no value, because the word is not the thing. So if you do not mind, we can't go beyond that. It becomes then merely a speculative amusement to be accepted or denied. The second extract is from the fourth talk in Sanan, 1978, titled We are frightened to be nothing. Can one, as a human being, non-identify yourself with another? Not only with another, but with ideas, with a group, with a set, with a guru, with a, mm, the whole business of it which means you are free. Out of that freedom there is attention. How can I, how can one be attentive if I am identifying myself with you? You may be most affectionate, most kind, I may want your kindness, I because 
<coughs> because I'm lonely. I'm a, I feel desperate. So I'm, I identify. You encourage me. You, you say, that's nothing. You'll get over it tomorrow, old boy. Get on with it. You give me comfort. You give me sex. So instinctively, I identify myself with you. Moment you identify yourself with another, you bring about a separation. Right? Obviously. So when there is separation, there must be conflict. Right? So, oh Lord, a lot of trains this morning. So can you find out? Now, sitting here, not tomorrow, not when you go home, Actually, now, find out if you have identified yourself with her, him, and extend that identification extensively, ideas, beliefs, dogmas, with Jesus or Buddha, this or that, or ideologically, nationally, and so on. Begin with the nearest and expand. If we are apt, we are apt to begin at extensively, but not near. So, can you find out if you are identifying yourself with another? The moment you use my girl or my boy, my you're, you're caught. So, the my wife, the my girl, the my husband, the words are driving you. Because those words can, are emotionally explosive. So, you are being driven by words. Whereas if you are free from identification and therefore from the emotional content of my wife, my husband, my girl or boy, then you can use words normally, unemotionally, sanely. I wonder if you get all this. So can one not identify? And why do you identify? You understand my question? Why? Is it that through identification with another you are escaping from yourself? Go into it, please. Are you? Or you may identify yourself with another because you're lonely. Or you are frightened to be nothing. 
You understand? To be absolutely empty, psychologically, I don't mean biologically, food, I don't mean that. These, are these the reasons that you have never asked this question? And if you ask this question, is it that you are frightened to face yourself as you actually are? Therefore, identification with another becomes a means of escape from what you are. So then you ask, what are you? Of course, you are your name, your form, the body, the organism, the face, but that is a biological or physiological nature. But what are you? Are you not the result of all the structure and the movement of thought? Don't say, I am the higher self. If you do say that, that's part of thinking. Or if you say, I am divided inside, covered up with a lot of muck, that's also thinking. So, are you, apart from your face and curly hair of dark brown, black or purple or whatever it is, apart from that, stripping yourself of words, are you not the result of, wo- of words? I am British or French. I am a Russian, I am a Catholic, I am follow this guru. So are you not the result of thought? And we said thought is limited. So, what you are is very limited. That limited entity says, I am this, I am that, I've, I've got millions of dollars, or I have a jolly good life, or I am miserable life, or I am this or that. But it's still in the narrow, limited area of hope. The Hindus, the ancient Hindus invented a very good thing. They called it the Atman, the higher self, the supreme thing. And that supreme thing is still born of the form. But people are so gullible, so unreasonable, like to live in illusions and make believe, they accept all this. 
So we are saying, you are, when you strip yourself of your conclusions, of your words, of your experience, what are you? You are nothing. You are empty. So, consciously or unconsciously, or the feeling that you are nothing, you get frightened of it. And then you begin to identify. Then you fill that emptiness, at least you think you can fill that emptiness, with lots of ideas, with lots of relationship, with lots of knowledge, etc., etc. Right? Now, just a minute. Can you, can thought, can the mind observe that emptiness and not move away from it? You understand my question? That is, we must understand something here. Are you getting tired? If you are, it's all right. We must go into something else here, which is, most of us are accustomed, according to traditional conditioning, to be active, to do something. Right? So, we are accustomed to what is called positive action. Anything that is not positive action is called negation, negative action. Right? You are following this? Our brains, our minds, our habits are act according to this positive action to do something. I am afraid I must control it. I'm greedy, I'm, I'm either act for, to fulfill it or control it. So, most of us are trained to act, which is called positive. And in that positive action there is also negative action, which is not to do anything about it, go off to sleep or cover it up run away from it. But there is another action which has nothing to do with positive. I wonder if you understand all this. Which is no action at all. You understand? The one is to act. I'm, I'm lazy, I must get up, force myself. I must do yoga. Huh? I don't want to do it this morning, but I must do it. Good for me. You know, the word yoga 
I won't go into it now. Sorry, we'll go into it now. That's an exploiting, money-making concern, that world. All right, so we are trained, our habit, our tradition, our conditioning is to do something about what we feel. And in that positive action there is negative action, not to do anything about it, just to leave it alone, run away from it. Hmm? Now there is, we are suggesting, inquire into it, please don't accept it. We are saying there is another kind of action, unrelated to the positive, which is non-action. We will go into that in a minute. You understand? The non-action is not the opposite of action. That action is very limited, because it is based on thought. Whereas non-action, not being related to the positive, is entirely different, which we will inquire into presently. So our question is this now. You have, one has heard, if you have paid attention to it, one has heard that identification with another brings about separation, because that identification is another is based on your own emptiness, on your own loneliness, on your own desire to escape from yourself, but the escaping from yourself, your loneliness, your, is always there. It's always there. You may identify yourself with another, but it's there. Therefore, that creates separation. You and hence, quarrels, all the rest of it follow. Divorce, an everlasting struggle in relationship. Now, can you observe this identifying process and the cause of identifying without any positive action, without doing something about it? The third extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in Sanan, 1975, titled In Nothingness is Complete Security. Thought wants to be secure. The brain demands complete security, because it only can function then rationally. So it has sought security in knowledge, in science, in relationship, in conclusions, and it hasn't found security in any of this, in the Church, in none of it. 
Andy, and you must have security. Then your brain functions clearly, objectively, highly sensitive. Now where do you find it? Is it out there? Or somewhere else? You know the word leisure? Leisure. To be to have leisure. Have you had leisure at any time? In leisure you learn. We have sitting here having leisure for an hour and whatever it is, and you are learning. Not from the speaker, together we are learning. Right? So we are learning together in leisure the futility of security in the projections of thought, whether it's God, whether it is whatever it is. So having leisure means learning. Now I want to learn, we have to learn, we want to learn where there is security, absolute security, not variable security. If, if one has that, the whole problem of fear ends. The total fear, both physiologically as well as psychologically. Our minds are active. Chasing one thought of another. Our minds, in their movement of thought, there are gaps between thoughts, an interval, a time interval. And thought is always trying to find a means where it can abide. Abide in the sense, hold. What thought creates, being fragmentary, is total insecurity. I wonder if you see this. Therefore, there is complete security in being completely nothing.
which means not a thing created by thought. Do you understand this? To be absolutely nothing. Which means total contradiction to everything that you have learnt. Everything that thought has put together to be not a thing. If you are nothing, you have complete security. It's only the man that's becoming wanting, desiring, pursuing. In that there is complete insecurity. After listening for an hour, seeing the nature of time, which is movement of thought, <coughs> apart from the chronological time, seeing that action. is never complete, always fragmented, and therefore an action can only be complete when there is total security. And seeing the whole nature of fear, as the movement of thought, as the achievement of an ideal, or living in the past, in the romantic, idiotic, sentimental past, and, or living in knowledge, which again is fragmentary and therefore never complete. Action means to act completely now. The active present, that can only take place when there is complete security. The security that thought has created is no security. This is, a, is an absolute truth. And the absolute truth is when there is... When there is when there's nothing, when you are nothing. Now, what happens in our relationship when you are nothing? You understand? You know what it means to be nothing? No ambition, which doesn't mean you vegetate. No competition, no aggression, 
No resistance. No barriers built by hurt. Absolutely nothing. Then what what is it to be related to another? Have you ever thought about all this? Or is it all so tragically new? Our relationship now is instable, not stable. And therefore it is a perpetual battle. Perpetual division, each seeking his own pursuits, his own enjoyments, his own, you know, isolated. That relationship, being insecure, must inevitably bring division and therefore conflict. Right? Now, when there's my, when in that relationship there's complete security, there's no conflict. But you may be completely nothing, hmm? and I might not. Therefore, what takes place? You follow? You understand all this? You are nothing. In psychologically, inwardly, you're completely secure because there's nothing. And I am still fighting, quarreling, insecure, confused in this. What is our relationship between you and me? <coughs> this is what's going on, you understand? Not certainty created by thought. That's no certainty. Like a man saying, I believe in that, and establish his relationship in a belief. <coughs> and therefore, that belief is conditioning, breeds fear, and therefore division. Here it is entirely different. You have perceived, realized, understood seen the truth that in, in this nothingness there is complete security, and I haven't. What takes place between you and me? Come sir, investigate it. You have affection, love, compassion, born of this tremendous, unshakable stability. And I haven't. I'm your friend, your wife, or your husband. What takes place? What do you do with me? 
You understand, sir? What do you do with me? Hit me on the head? Cajole me? Talk to me? Comfort me? Tell me what stupid you are? What will you do? You understand, sir? This is. Now, look at it differently. What time is it? Coffee, Of course, a minute. Yeah. Let's look at it differently. There are about fifteen hundred of us, or twelve hundred of us, in this tent. And some of you, at least I hope so, have listened very carefully, given your attention, care, affection, and you realize that you are the world and the world is you, not verbally, but profoundly the truth of it. We'll discuss later what is truth and what is reality, what is the relationship between reality and truth. We'll go into all that later. So you, you are the world, and the world is you. You realize that, and you realize, see the Im- immense and imminent responsibility to change radically, because you have listened. Not argue, not opinion. You see the truth of it. Then, what is your relationship with the rest of the world? Fifteen hundred or twelve hundred of you listen to it, see it, aware of it, given your deep, con- committed concern, as you are serious people. I hope. And when there is that fundamental transformation, then what is your relationship with the world? It is the same question, you understand? What do you do? Or do you wait for something to happen? If you wait for something to happen, nothing will happen. So, if you actually see the the truth that you are the world, and the world is you, not as a theory of verbal assertion, but in actuality, And you see the extraordinary importance that when you basically transform yourself, you will affect the whole of consciousness of the world. Bounto! And won't you 
if you are completely, wholly secure in the sense we are talking about, won't you affect me? Who am uncertain, lonely, despairing, clinging, attaching, attachment, won't you affect me? Obviously you will. But the important thing is that you listen and see this, the, rea- the truth of this. Then it is yours, not somebody else's giving you something. The fourth extract is from the seventh talk in Sanan, 1980, titled Our culture says, be something. Now where there is freedom, what takes place? Where there is freedom from all commitment, from all authority, from all illusions, images, conclusions, what is the state of your mind? You understand what I'm saying? Ask, find out, sir, don't look at me, find out it's your daily life. You see, we are so afraid to be nothing. Our culture, our education, everything says, be something. either in the business world or in the religious world, on the entertainment world, on the football field, be something. And when you, when consciousness, with all its content, is empty, if that's possible, doubt that, that is yourself, doubt your vanity, Why you are vain, why you are stuck in a belief, holding on to some past experience, past remembrances. And when the mind is free, which is when you, when all your travail is not, you understand? What is there? You're following all this? Oh, sorry, come on. You understand, sir? When you give up smoking, without going off into some other form of smoking, when you end smoking, or when you end a certain pleasurable habit, when you end attachment, what is there? You understand my question? Is that what we are afraid of? 
I'm attached to you. And if I end it, what have I? So if I end my vanity, my conclusion, my belief, my gods, my you know, longing, 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 if I end all that, what happens? You're following all this? Do it, please. End your particular attachment. Now. Don't bother about your wife and your husband, your girl. Say, all right, for the moment at least I'll be free of attachment. What takes place there in the mind? There's certain freedom in there and a sense of nothingness. Right? Not a thing. Nothingness means not a thing. Thing means the word thing, sorry, the word thing comes from race, I won't go into all that, which is thought which has put there. You understand? Thing is the movement of thought. Thought is a material process. We've been into all that. A material process. Because thought is the response of memory, memory which is experience, knowledge. This experience, knowledge, memory is stored in the cells of the brain. And therefore it is matter. It's a, it's a process of matter. We won't go into matter for the moment. I have discussed this question with a scientist, so I won't enter into that for the moment. So, when there is not a thing, you understand? It means the, mo- the movement of thought has come to an end. That is, sir, if you can do it now sitting here in this tent, knowing that you are attached, the guru, whatever you are attached to, end it. Not say, well, how should I end it? I've explained all that. You should end it because the consequences of attachment is fear, anxiety, jealousy, hatred, being wounded psychologically, building a wall around yourself, isolating yourself, and so on, so on, so on. That is a fact. You don't have to doubt it. Don't take time to doubt it. It's not worth it. It is there. And if you end it, which means thought, has not, has no other movement than ending itself. Now, the 
the ending of thought is the ending of time. Right? Because thought is a movement. Time is a movement from here to there physically. Right? Takes time to go from here to your house or chalet, to your tent or whatever it is. To cover that distance needs time. And thought is a movement. Any movement is capable of being measured. Right? Come on, sir. Right? So, what is measured, that which can be measured, is the thing created by thought and by time. Look, it takes one from here to go to one's home, perhaps two hours, ten minutes, and so on, which can be measured. Right? by the distance, mileage, time. And also thought can be measured. Right? Have you noticed that it can be measured? Right? Did I need I explain it? Oh for God's sake, come on, sir. Explain it to yourself. I don't have to explain. You all look so dazed. Look, sir, you can measure thought when you are saying, I will become. Right? I will become, which is, I am not what I should be, but I will become that. That is projected by thought. The ideal, the whatever it is, projected by thought. So to arrive at that, is the movement of thought from what is to what should be. That is the measure. Now, the word meditation means also not only to ponder, to think over, to inquire profoundly, but also it has a meaning from Sanskrit too, to measure. Do you understand what I'm saying? To measure. And in meditation, measurement must come to an end. Do you understand? Oh, for God's sake. Which means no measurement, which is comparison. You understand? I was before I came to you, your guru. You have given me the system, and I am practicing. Where am I today, tomorrow, day after tomorrow? <laughs> you follow? How childish it all is. So, measurement which means comparison, inwardly, comparing oneself with the past or with the future, with an example, with 
no measurement, see? No illusion, no image. And the absolute cessation of will. You follow what, what strict demand is required for, to meditate. You understand what I'm saying? It isn't something so easy you sit like that and go off into some kind of nonsense. This demands tremendous attention. Great depth of inquiry in yourself, into yourself. Therefore, you have that tremendous sense of order, which means no conflict whatsoever. Then, if you have come to that, and I hope some of you will and must. Then we can go into what is meditation. You understand, sirs? That is when there is freedom, and therefore the absence of all that, there is love. Which is not pleasure, which is not desire. We went into that the other day. Without that love, without that compassion, and because there is freedom, there is intelligence, without that, don't meditate. Then you are playing with with something dangerous which is not worth it. The fifth extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in Madras, 1973, titled From Nothingness Comes the Creative Flowering of Life. Next problem in question in meditation is what is science? <coughs> Why is it necessary for the mind to be silent, not at peace? That's a dreadful word to use in meditation. When you're in your daily life, you're not peaceful. In your daily life you are violent, ambitious, greedy, envious, anxiety, fearful. And you want peace. So, as in daily life you have no peace, don't seek in meditation peace. That has no meaning. That's a just pretension. It's like my talking about not being corrupt, having my hand in another man's pocket. 
So what is science? And why is it necessary for the mind to have completely quiet, silent mind? Please ask, find out, sirs. Why shouldn't you have a silent mind, a really quiet mind, a mind that's not occupied with God, with uh, unhappiness, with with your job, with your wife, husband, a quiet, unoccupied, totally silent mind? Why should you have it? Do you listen to that dog? Wait, wait, silently. Listen to it completely silent, which means without any resistance, without any irritation. Just listen. When you listen quietly, there is no resistance. There is no irritation. You do not identify yourself with the dog and the barking of it. Your, your mind is quiet. Now, when you are listening, I hope, as you are listening to the speaker, to hear what he is saying, your mind must be quiet. That's ordinary courtesy, ordinary politeness, and ordinary rational necessity if you want to listen to what the speaker is saying. So, acquired. Silent mind is necessary to listen. To see something, a tree, to see some uh, the movement of the breeze and the leaves, you have to look. And if your mind is not looking wholly, then you can't look. You understand? So, quiet mind and a silent mind are necessary. A mind that is not filled in with words, with ideas, with speculations, conclusions, fears, a mind must be silent without any invitation. Do you understand this? If you invite silence, it's not silence, is it? Do you see, do you see this? I've heard you, you say to me, only when you are silent, you can hear the dog. When your mind is quiet, you can see the leaves moving. So I've, I've heard that, 
and I want to see the tree leaves moving, so I practice to, to be silent. And such practice of silence is no silence, is death. And that's what has taken place with all of you. You are dead people, because you are second-hand people. You repeat endlessly what others say and perform puja, rituals, galore, and your life is utterly unhappy, as therefore Meditation is all through the whole days of our life, and when there is order, which is virtue, a behaviour which is not contradictory, which is whole, Then a mind that's completely quiet, completely still, without direction, without control, such a mind has immense energy, because in it there is no friction, and then only Because, please listen, because in space there is no direction, there is no time. Have you understood it, sir, somebody? There is space between here and the place I live. To get from here to there, in that space, time is necessary. Right? Time to practice. Time is necessary. But when there is in space, there is no direction. There is no time. Oh, get this, please. Therefore, in that space, there is only the present. And time then is mere physical fact. Catch a train, catch a bus, go from here, there, and so on. But when there is no controller under control, when there is no direction, space is beyond the content of consciousness. No, you don't understand, don't agree, don't shake, nod your head in agreement, you don't understand this. <coughs> you know what consciousness is? Conscious, you are conscious, aren't you? 
You, when, you, when you are hurt, you become conscious of your hurt, of your, or when you are enjoying something tremendously, you are conscious that you are Your consciousness contains the consciousness is its content, right? Don't learn this. Observe it. Now, the content of consciousness is ambition, violence, greed, envy, power, seeking power, position, uh, cheating, corrupt. All that is the content of your consciousness, as your furniture, as your house, as your name. That's the content. In that content. We move. All thought moves. That is, thought is the movement of the known. The movement of the known is time. Now, in meditation, the there is the complete emptying of the mind of the known. The known is the me. You understand? Have you ever thought, must I go into all this? So you can know yourself very well, can't you, if you applied your mind, your greeds, your envies, your purposes. Your attachments and detachments and the fears and the pleasures, the past experience, remembrances, your the memories are the known. Right? The known is the me, isn't it? The me is the content of my consciousness. It's very simple, don't complicate. You don't have to study fat books about this. You can see it yourself. My consciousness is my struggles, my conflicts, my purposes, my technique, my talent, my desires. That's my, the content of my consciousness. All thought is within the boundaries of that consciousness. And in meditation, when you come to the real beauty of the death, is the freedom from the totally known, though operating in the known. Ah, you won't get this as bad. So, in that quality of mind, time has come to an end. Thought is not projecting anything. Therefore there are no visions, no gods, no nothing. That nothingness is not emptiness. That nothingness is the creative flowering of life, of total life. That is the very essence 
of something that is unnamed. But you, but the mind cannot come to it with any kind of will, with any kind of desire, with through any kind of ritual, slogans, mantras, and ramas, and sitas, and God knows what else. It can only come when you lead a righteous life. Now, not tomorrow. Every day of your life. When there is no friction between you and another, that is, when you have relationship with another, not through your images of but relationship, and when you have this immense feeling of compassion, love, that is beauty, you know, that is there as, in, as a root, as a tree has its root deep in earth. Unless your feet are firmly in there, unshakable, then you, then out of in that out of that grows the beauty of silence, which is not cultivable, which is timeless, and therefore something beyond all words. The final extract in this episode is from the fifth talk in Bombay, 1962, titled In Nothingness is Communion. Action, which is born of reaction, breeds sorrow. And action, born of a mind that has totally understood this whole process of reaction, can act every minute totally, completely, wholly. Now, a mind that is not built on the past, because most minds, most of our thoughts are the result of the past, out of time. Please do listen for two minutes. Don't bother if you understand it or don't understand it. What I'm going to say probably will be rather difficult. Will be rather confusing. So don't listen too much. Listen as though you're far away. Because I'm going to talk about something which you will come to if you have gone through all this. If you have gone through all this sweetly, with pleasure 
when you have denied with enchantment, not when the pain, when you have denied with joy, when you have gone through that, you will see you will come naturally, easily to a state of mind that is the very essence of beauty. Because you must understand beauty. Because a mind that is not beautiful, a mind that is not enchanted by a tree, by a, a flower, by a lovely face, by a smile, which doesn't stand by the sea and watch the restless waves, which has no sense of beauty, such a mind can never find love or truth. And you have been, been denied that beauty, because that beauty demands passion. That beauty demands all your energy. A complete, undivided attention. And that complete, undivided attention is negation, is a state of negation. Because it's only out of nothingness creation takes place. Out of that emptiness there is that creation which is the summation of all energy. And you can't come to it. You must leave yourself far away. You must lose yourself far away. Forget yourself. You must come to it unspotted, without a remembrance, without thought, without a memory. Because there is nothing you can experience. There is no experiencing. If you are seeking experience, then you are still caught in the known, in the things of yesterday. I am talking of a mind that is not lazy, that has no self-pity, that has no memory except the mechanical memory, of living where it lives, goes to the office, doing the mechanical things of life, but no psychological memory, therefore no experiencing. And therefore there is no challenge. And it is only that mind itself is reality. It is itself creation. And that is beauty. Beauty is not in the face. 
however defined, however refined it is. Beauty is something which is not put together by man. Beauty is not the result of thought or feeling. Beauty is that communion with everything without reaction. Communion with the ugly and the so-called beautiful. And that communion is out of nothingness. And in that state, there is that beauty which is love. 